This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce which I sent her away? With which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins you were sold. Because of your transgressions your mother was sent away. When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke, I dry up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with darkness and make sackcloth with its covering. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He awakens me morning by morning, wakens my ears to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, but my chest to those who pulled my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him be confronted. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? Will they all wear out like a garment? The moss will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go. Walk in the light of your fires and the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Kevin, uh, for those who do not know me. Um, and we're currently going through the Suffering Servant series, um, a series uh, that are looking at the servant songs found in Isaiah and helps us uncover the paradox of how God's servant saves the world through suffering. Um, keep your hands open, or to keep your Bibles open. We're going to be referring back to that quite a bit. Uh, but before we get stuck in, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us today to understand your words. Soften our hearts so that we may be transformed. Empty our minds so that we can learn more about you. Give us ears that are ready to listen so we can hear your words clearly. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Who do you trust with your life? Maybe you trust your life with your spouse or your partner, maybe your family, or maybe your really close friends. Well, to be honest, I can tell you that my list is very short. But I believe the reality is that not many of us will have a long list that we can say we fully trust with our lives. And as we come to the servant song in Isaiah 50, the Israelites face this exact same question. Who do they trust with their lives? And as we go through the song, first by looking at Israel's mistrust, 
then the servant's deep trust, and then lastly looking about who we can trust with our lives, we're going to see that God is challenging the Israelites to trust in him and in his servant. And so as we come to verses 1 to 3, we read of God's words of comfort, as well as words that reveal to Israel the reality of their mistrust. As I mentioned last week, Israel at this point in their history is overcome with a belief that God has abandoned them, that he has packed his bag and left them be to be in exile forever. However, God answers their concern. In verse 1, we are greeted by divorce language. As customary at the time, men would have provided divorce papers when they sent the woman away. And once these papers were issued, the divorce was finalized and marriage could not have been restored. But God says that he has not issued these papers to the Israelites, even though that they were in exile. God comforts the Israelites, telling them that although they were away from God, the exile is only temporary and they will return. But God goes on to tell the Israelites the reason why they were sent away. God tells them that the reason they were sold off in God's language was because of their sin, their mistrust in God. Rather than having God having to pay off a debt or having failed to protect them from their enemies. In verse 2, God paints this image for us as he points out how Israel has been treating him. God says in verse 2, When I came, why was no one there? When I called, why was there no one to answer? You see, ironically, it was Israel that abandoned God, not the other way around. God was always at their doorstep, knocking on their door, but the Israelites placed their trust on themselves and in the, other hand, in the hands of other nations. Their reality is far from what they have believed. They were not abandoned by God, but God sent them away because they abandoned him. And so God goes on and questions why they didn't trust that God could save them. He asked Israel whether they thought that he was not strong enough or if they believed that God never had the ability to save them in the first place. But he reminds them as he points them back to their experience back in Egypt when they were set free as slaves, the things he has done for them in the past, things that are impossible for any human to do. You see, these opening verses give us a precursor to see how Israel have mistrusted God and have misplaced their trust in other things. But on the other side of things, this would have been great comfort for the Israelites as well. To know that even though they were the ones that abandoned God and they didn't trust him at all, God didn't abandon them and has a plan to save and restore them as we saw last week. But after these words of comfort and the words that give the Israelites the reality check that they need, Isaiah 50 abruptly changes its voice. No longer is God speaking, but from verse 4 to 9, the servant's voice appears. And it's from verse 4 to 9 that Christians traditionally know it as the third servant song of Isaiah. 
And what makes this servant song unique is that the servant will lay out to us his inner thoughts as he shares to us his reflections and convictions. But what this does is that it helps us compare the servant's deep trust in God with Israel's mistrust in God. So unlike the Israelites, we see how the servant's deep trust in God actually liberates the servant to continue on in his mission. And his mission, as we saw last week, is to display God's splendor and to rescue and restore the world. So in his trust, we see three things about the servant, that three things that Israel failed to be. The first thing we see in the servant's trust is the servant is fully dependent on God. Reading from verse 4, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the words that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ears to listen to like one being instructed. Even though the servant has a grand mission set before him, the servant is fully dependent on God because he knows that it is God who sustains him. It is God that gives him the words to speak and it is God who wakes him up every morning, day after day equipping him with ears that are ready to listen. And isn't it interesting to compare when God is knocking on the door of the Israelites, Israel failed to show up. They failed to listen. But he, the servant, he is God knocking on his door. He welcomed him in and even is dependent on God to give him ears that will listen intently as one who will follow through with what is going to be said. And this is actually the second thing we see about the servant. The servant is fully obedient to God. Building on from the servant having ears that will listen like one who is given instructions, in verse 5 to 6, we see how that actually plays out. We are painted this appalling image of how the servant is treated. And he does the thing, as he does the things that God has instructed him to do. Even though the servant is God's chosen servant, we see that the servant is received poorly. He is mocked, he is spat on, and even had people pulling on his beard. Imagine how humiliating that would have been, how degrading that would have been, and how easy it is for the servant to question God and his plans. Yet even though all of this happened, and despite the humiliation, the servant is not rebellious. He does not turn his back to God, he does not run away, but he sets his eyes on the instructions given. Verse 7 it says, Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. You see, even in the face of humiliation, of mockery, of beard pulling, and being spat on, the servant resolutely sets his eyes on what God has told him to do. The servant is obedient to the point that no obstacle, no mistreatment, would take his eyes off his mission. But how could the servant be so resolutely set on God's instructions? 
How could he have continued to remain obedient to God even though he faced utter humiliation? It's a question that I believe it's fair to ask. Well, this is the third thing we see about the servant who deeply trusts in God. The servant is actually fully confident in God. Now, if we read verses 4 to 9 carefully, I believe it's hard to detach the servant's thought with his confidence in God. Notice in verse 7, the servant says, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. And then a little bit later on, he says, I know I will not be put to shame. In verse 8, he says, He who vindicates me is near. And then in verse 9, the servant says, It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. The servant knows that no matter what he's going through, God will always be with him. That God will be by his side. So much so that in verses 8 to 9, we are given a sense that not only will the servant face humiliation, but will also have accusers that bring him to court on charges that will try and condemn him. And yet, the servant stands firm in God and continues to be obedient because he is confident that God is with him and that God will vindicate him. You see, unlike the Israelites who abandoned God and then goes on to question if God has abandoned them, the servant trusts that he will be taken care of even in the face of humiliation. And this trust liberates the servant to live life how God intended to be as he resolutely sets out to do what God has instructed him to do. But after the servant having laid out his thought and has helped us contrast Israel's mistrust to the servant's deep trust, God's voices reappears again, challenging the Israelites about who they trust with their lives. Reading from verse 10, it says, Whom among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. God asks, who actually fears and trusts in God and his servant? The servant who he has sent to save the world. The servant who he has equipped with words. The servant who has shown the Israelites what it looks like to trust in God. But I believe the question here is actually a rhetorical question because as we know, Israel as a nation failed. But God tells them that even though they are in exile, that they are not abandoned. And God tells the Israelites to trust in him, trust in him and in his name. God tells them to trust that he will bring them out of darkness rather than to continue to mistrust God and trust in their own strengths or the strengths of other nations. You see, God promises that if they trust and rely on him, they will be saved and that they would live in darkness no more. But God also gives them a solemn warning for those who continue to trust in themselves and mistrust God. God tells them to go and continue to walk with what they think will give them light and will bring them to rescue and restoration. But God wants them to know that if they continue this way, it would ultimately lead them to torment 
punishment from God, just as they have experienced in exile. But you see, these words aren't only for the Israelites back then. They are words that that are deeply relevant to us today. Because you see, the reality is we are all living in darkness. The Bible constantly uses the language of light and darkness as a way to express the reality of sin. The reality that leads Israel to their exile, but the reality where we all mistrust and have abandoned God. And God is asking all of us whether we trust and rely on God and in the servant. Because it's only through him that we are brought out of darkness, brought out of sin. But who is this servant that God calls us to trust on? Well, as we come to the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says these words. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, Jesus is the light that comes to illuminate the darkness. And Jesus is the rescue that we need in order for us to be brought out of darkness. Just like how God displayed to Israel his might, our power and might, as we remember back to Isaiah 50, Jesus is the ultimate display of God's power. But this display isn't about military might, but a display that is marked with suffering and humiliation. And yet, through suffering and humiliation, God does the undoable through the servant. He makes it possible for us to live life to the fullest. You see, as we read Isaiah 50, we firstly need to marvel at just the description of the servant. And like the Israelites, be amazed and confident to know that even in our sins, God has not abandoned us. But unlike the Israelites back then, we know who the servant is. The servant that is written about 700 years before Jesus is Jesus. It is in Jesus that we see the servant who deeply trusts in God in a way that Israel failed to do. Jesus is fully dependent on God. Time and time again, Jesus would humble himself before God and pray. He would pray for strength and will pray in God's name. He would refer back to his words that are being spoken to be God's words. And he would say whatever he does is all because God enables him to. But Jesus is also fully obedient to God. Even though Jesus knew that death awaited him, even though he knew that he'll be mocked, He'll be spat on, humiliated, and have much more worse things done than just having his beard pulled. Jesus did not turn away. He was not rebellious, but like Flint, he resolutely set his eyes on his mission. In Luke 9, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51, this is what it says about Jesus. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem to his death. 
You see, like the servant who did not hide his face, Jesus knew his purpose and he resolutely pursued forward, knowing what awaited him. And we also see in the New Testament that Jesus is fully confident in God. Jesus will be accused on false charges. He will be trialed based on these false charges. And Jesus would suffer greatly because of these false charges. Yet Jesus did not run away because he deeply trusted that God is with him and that one day God will vindicate him. Jesus was fully confident that God is by his side and that he will not be abandoned. But can I also point out that the solemn warning is also for us as well, who continue to choose to mistrust God. For those of us who think that the reality of darkness can be lit through things like careers, family, relationships, wealth, status, legacy, or even just comfort, God paints to us the reality of what it means if we continue to misplace our trust and light our own torches. God says, torment, darkness, and separation from him is there. But I think this solemn warning can also be words of comfort as well. Because as some of us may have already experienced, um, these things that we make our own torches to light up in our own lives may seem great at the start, but we soon realize one day they do fail us. And it's great comfort to know that God has promised a person, Jesus, his servant, who will light up the world. The one who we can put all our trust onto with our lives and the one that we don't have to be afraid that will fail or let us down. And God says, rely on him and trust that Jesus is the one who comes to bring us out of the darkness. But what it also means for us is that we should look at Jesus' deep trust in God and be moved to have such a deep trust in God as well. Jesus models to us how we can continue in our lives as Christians, even in the face of suffering and humiliation. He models to us how we can be fully dependent on God from our day-to-day lives. He models to us of how we can be obedient to God even in suffering because we know that we can have confidence that God is with us. So whether it be at work, at home, on the streets, in the media, online, when we face things directly at us or indirectly, we can put our trust in God. Don't be like the Israelites when God comes knocking at the door, is absent or is running away. But be confident that God is with you and that he is your helper even in the times when you are attacked for your faith. But just as Jesus models how we can trust God, he also models to us as a church community how we can be fully dependent on him. Unlike the Israelites who, as a nation, failed to trust God and trust that God can save them, God reminds us that he is with us 
and that we, like Jesus, can, can come to him in prayer knowing that he will hear us and that he will provide. And I thought this will be a good opportunity for us to, uh, in a moment, break off with the people next to us and pray for Chapel Hill as a church. Like we just heard about the announcement, in a couple of weeks, Chapel Hill is going to go off to have a big day out. And this is a day where we're going to be gathering as a church to think about the vision of Chapel Hill from 2020 onwards. It'll be a day where we get to hear from God's word, but also a day where we recalibrate where we are with God as a church and as individuals. And like how Jesus is fully dependent on God, who is fully confident in God, and is fully obedient to God, we can come to God in prayer asking him to help us, to help us see what God has, in, has planned for us in the future in 2020 and onwards. If you're new here, um, that's all right if you don't want to be praying uh, for our big day out, but may I encourage you to just share with the person next to you just some personal prayer points. We'll love to be praying for you uh, and praying uh, specifically for you uh, to see how God can be working in your lives. So I want to give you just a couple of minutes to just gather around with the people around you uh, and to just pray. And then I'm going to close us off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not abandoned us. That even though we continuously turn our backs to you, that you did not walk away. But instead, you have shown us a way out of darkness. Help us to deeply trust in you and in your servant and to not light our own torches. Help us to trust in you, just like how your servant trusted you. So we pray, Lord, that we set our faces resolutely to what you have told us and that we do not hide, run away, or be disobedient. For you have shown us great kindness, compassion, and grace. Amen.